Thanks for listening to the Community Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Pastor Dan Strutz here. Our desire is to connect people with Christ and community. For more info or to contact us, please visit cbcmountainlake.com. This is a, a great morning to worship our God, and, and man, it is, it is a good, uh, it's been a good week as far as the weather outside, right? I mean, we, we have seen that the, the spring weather is upon us, that uh, the snow is melting away, and the signs of spring are here, they are coming, and, and they are, uh, I hear it in our conversation, we were just talking back at the table before the service about, and I've heard multiple people say this, that they saw uh, robins out, and they, they've seen geese flying in the correct direction rather than the wrong direction. Uh, we, we see these things, and we get excited, and we know that spring is on the way, and it's exciting for us because we know better, exciting weather is coming. But yet we're still not there, right? It still is a little bit chilly at, at night and, and into the morning, and, and there's still some white piles laying around. They're not all gone. Uh, we're not mowing the lawn yet. Uh, it, it's coming, and there are signs, clearly, that God is turning the weather around to move towards spring and towards summer. I mention that because this morning, as we're getting to Luke, and you can start turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 1 this morning, Luke is going to be signifying or starting to show us that there are signs of a new season that is upon the people of God that are coming, and, and we, we see it as we look outside, and, and that's similar to what God was starting to do amongst his people as we enter into Luke. This morning, we're going to learn about Zechariah and Elizabeth. We're going to hear about this couple. We're going to look at their story and be happy for them that eventually they had the child that they'd wished for, that they're going to see the blessing from God, but I think the reason that God has this story is, is more than just giving an account of this special blessing of parents having a child, their child, John the Baptist. I think God has put this on Luke's heart to put in because he is trying to signify what is happening here, not just amongst this couple, but amongst his people. You remember last week we heard John saying, or Luke saying to Theophilus, I want to write this orderly account for you so you can know what God has done, the fulfillment of his plans. And I think this story is exactly where he wants to begin. It's going to show us a little bit of the rough state of God's people, the, 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 real, the realization that they are, are in a human, human world that is broken and needs God. We're also going to see that God's, the great reality that God hasn't forgotten them. The great reality that God has not forgotten his people, his plan, and his promises, and he is working even through their hurts and their pains to bring about his glory. So like spring starting to pop up, this morning this message is going to start to see signs of God's redemption plan right from the beginning of Luke in this first chapter message title this morning is a barren blessing before christ and there's a little bit of alliteration there that's kind of a tongue twister you could also just say that the sermon title is the announcement of john the baptist his coming and that he would arrive and we're going to see over the next few weeks this kind of uh, back and forth between john the baptist and jesus and and their important roles and what god is playing out 
So with that, let me go and pray for this word and that God can just open our ears, our hearts, and, and, and use my, my mind and my lips to, to communicate what he wants for each of us this morning. So let's go before him and just thank him for this word. Father God, I thank you so much that we see signs of newness. We see them outside. We know that they are there and we get excited for them, but let us much more get excited for the fact that you brought signs of what you are doing amongst your people in a time which is really dark without you. These signs that uh, the people wanted to hear from you, and, and they did. And Lord, I just, I just ask that this morning, wherever we are at coming in here, uh, for some of us, we, we've had joys this week, and for others of us, we've had hardships. And Lord, let us hear through your word, uh, you springing forth in our life and meeting us here in this world. Lord, I ask that for my words and the ears of hearers, that this can be an honoring, glorifying moment for you. We just lay this time at your feet to uh, just help us grow in who you are in Christ. So we ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Luke 1, starting at verse 5 and going through verse 25, a, a longer section, but it's a wonderful story. It reads like this. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah and the division of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before, before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving, Zechariah that is, as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the customs of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And a whole number of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. The angel said, Do not fear, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he will not he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him the spirit and power of Elijah and turn the hearts of the fathers to the, to the children and the disobedient, to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord the people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am old, an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to bring to you this good news. You will be silent and none they will speak until the day of those, these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service ended, he went 
to his home. After these, day, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me and took my way, my reproach among peoples. God's wonderful word, the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and, and we reflect back that, like, again, I say that, that, that Luke is talking about this orderly account, and he wants to go back to the beginning, back to when Jesus would come. But much more than it, he wants to go back even further before uh, to this story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, a time in the temple. Luke wants to talk about the, what the fulfillment of what Christ has done, but he wants to begin all the way at the beginning, and, and he wants to go even before those famous Christmas stories, before uh, shepherds are, are visited by angels, and before Mary is in the manger, he wants to go back to this announcement. The story, and the story starts in the temple. I need to see this morning this idea of temple, and I want to just pause and hang out that this event is happening in this place, this building where God should dwell. It's an important piece to the puzzle, I think, for these first two chapters, and, and really for the whole story of Luke. We know that Jesus is going to be at the temple at the end of the story. He's going to be there, and the people will reject him and send him off to Calvary, and he's going to die and rise again. But we see that, that there's an ark here that begins first at the temple. And that's significant. Here and over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some events of the Christmas stories, and an often forgotten part is that most of it happens in the temple. About 40% of it will occur in that building, in that space. I'm going to start here with an announcement. It's going to end with Jesus being there as a young boy saying, this is my father's house. I need to be in my father's house. So we know this place, this temple, it's a structure. It's, it's the footstool of God. It's the place where God would meet with his people and his people would come to him and they would sacrifice and look to hear from him. This is a place where in the Old Testament times God showed up. And here, that's where Luke wants to go. Back before Jesus would put on flesh, God wants to show up or start his activity in this temple place, this place of worship. And that's important because here we are at the beginning of the Gospels where God has been silent in this place for 400 years. And we're going to hear that. You're going to hear that from me over and over again, that God has been silent for a long time. Here we have two other contextual things that may help us just enter into this passage as we look at verse 5. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea. In the days of Herod, king of Judea. And that's a helpful timestamp. It helps us to put this story historically in a timeline. And we, we think, okay, now we know where this happened. It's during King Herod, and, and, and that's a good uh, thing. But I, I think there's something more than just a timestamp here. What Luke is writing out is a formula. In the days a king. If we were astute readers of our Bibles, and if we knew our Old Testament well, as some of the readers of this book would have known, that that formula, in the days of the king, is actually the way that many of the prophet books, the books of the prophets, start. Books like Jeremiah, Zechariah, Amos, and Daniel all start off with that formula, in the days of this king. 
And that's important because we're, our minds are go, to go back to the prophets and, and look forward to what they were prophesying, what they were speaking of, and they were looking forward to. But for 400 years, they had not heard from God. Since the book of Malachi, he's been silent to them. The other thing to note here is that it's King Herod, king of Judea. And, and we know that he, he's said to be a king, but really, at the time, Herod was just kind of a, a puppet king. He, he had a government called Rome that was over him. And he really wasn't for God's people. He was for Rome, and through that, everything he did was for them and for himself, for his own glory. And so, even the temple system, which was named Herod's Temple at the time, was kind of in the back pocket of Herod. There was connections, and, and he was the one that was prospering. So not only has God been quiet for a long time, but the temple itself, the place where God should be ruling, reigning, and active, is kind of in the hands of the enemy, or others, we could say. And that sets up this story well of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And as we peer into this story, I want to see three things this morning, three sections that I kind of have points for. As we look to the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, the first is that we see that this people, we see a people that's barren and disgraced. Look again at verse 5 and 6. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah in the division of Abijah. And his wife, the daughter from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. And we'll pause there. We have this priest, Zechariah. A priest came out of an ethical uh, a, a, a line of a lineage, a heritage uh, that would give them the opportunity to be a priest, uh, to be kind of the middleman between God and his people, where they would help in the religious actions. Uh, for God's people, help with sacrifices and, and everything else that would the priest's job would entail. We need to know that Zechariah wasn't really a big deal. There were really thousands and thousands of priests from all over. And we're going to learn in a few weeks that Zechariah was just from the hill country. He was probably some rural priest, pastor there, and he would travel down a couple weeks out of the year to come and do his time at the temple. His wife, Elizabeth, who is also from the line of Aaron, meaning her dad was also a priest, he, she and both of them, we learn that their character is pristine. They've walked with God. They've been righteous before God, it says. They've walked blamelessly in the statutes of God. Both of them, they were good church people. They, they prayed, they tithed, they showed up on, well, Saturday for them. They, they would have been there, and, and they would have read their Old Testament. They would have known this book. They were good moral people, good citizens, we would think. Does that mean they were sinless? No. They, they probably, what it is probably referring to is they probably had issues, and every now and then they'd stu stumble in, but they would know the sacrifices, they would know what the, the rituals would be to go and purify themselves and make themselves right with God. They, they would have lived in that. And, and we'd expect that their life is shining and, and awesome upon them, that like some theology, some churches want to say today, that if you are good and if you follow God and, and are devoted to Him, then God will bless you surely don't know is a false gospel, that, that here we see that it's not if you're just walking with God that everything will be 
perfect and well. We can ask, as some people do, if I follow God closely, he will bless me, but that's not the case for these two. Because in verse 7, this word, one word, but, it's a bombshell in the story, and it should rock us to the core. It says, but, verse 7, they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. Both were advanced in years. They had no children, no boy, no girl. Elizabeth had been barren. She had not been able to conceive throughout her life. And we both know that both of them are now advanced in years. We don't know how old they are, but we can guess that that it probably is similar to Simeon and Anna, who we'll meet later, that they were probably in their maybe 60s, 70s, whatever you think, gray hair, older. They should be grandparenting now, not trying to parent. We can guess that they maybe had given up on that hope of having kids. And this is a big deal in their culture. This is a big deal because not only might it be like you and I who just hope to have a kid someday and and have that blessing of a child, much more for them culturally, it it was significant because one, financially, it meant that you had no fallback options. There were no retirement homes. There were no nursing homes and insurance policies to take care of you. There was just your children, and they would have to care for you, and they didn't have that. But much more than that, this became a disgrace. There was a disgrace attached to not having a child in that day because well, one of the things that from the, the earliest parts of the scriptures we read is God commissions people to be fruitful and multiply. To have children and to multiply your inheritance. And for them, what this meant was that they couldn't live out the one command that God had issued from the beginning. Be fruitful and multiply. And so there was this disgrace, this shame find Elizabeth saying later, she'll call it a reproach. Because they hadn't been blessed by this by the Lord. And we can look at it and say, how can this be? Or to put it in our current vernacular, we could say, how could a bad thing happen to good people? Why Why do bad things happen to good people? They've tried to live rightly. Why is this happening to them? Maybe we need to ask a different question, which we'll get to in a moment. I want to give a side comment. This is kind of a, a just a note here that that here we're dealing with this issue of barrenness. And I just want to comment that, that for those of us or those who you may know who have de- dealt with this, loved ones, people who have not been able to have kids, I, I just want to comment that here we need to make sure we listen to the enemy. This isn't part of the, the text, but I just want to make a comment to say, I think the enemy wants to tell us if that's you or if that's us, to say that it's your fault, that God is shaming you, or God is doing something because you did something wrong. And I think that that's incorrect. Because here they lived correctly, and yet they didn't have that blessing. So I want to just caution that as a side, to say that, that this isn't because God is saying, I'm punishing you. Maybe there's something else going on here. Hear their story, they have brokenness. They, they, they've they been led into something that seems super shameful, super super broken and a disgrace and something you wouldn't want to talk about. Something that you walk around with and it lays heavy on you daily and yet nobody, you want nobody to know about it. You wish no one would know about it. And and yet you look around and people say, everyone's probably thinking about it. Everyone probably is looking at me and they're looking down on me for this shame that I carry. What about us? Maybe it's not having a kid that's the problem. Maybe it's for those of us who 
uh, have kids and, and have, they, they just are not well behaved. And we sit there and say, Lord, I'm trying to walk faithfully to you. Why can't you just have them behave? Or you have older kids and they've walked away from Jesus and say, I've raised them up. Why have they, why are they not following you? Maybe it's those of you who have been, are single and you're sitting there saying, there's a shame of saying, why am I not married yet? Why has the perfect spouse not come along yet? Or, or maybe it's in our job or finances and say, why can't I catch a break? There's things all over in our life that, that hang over us and try to shame us and give us disgrace and, and, and show this just hurt in our life. We can ask, God, have I not been good enough? When we put our identity solely in that, we're going to find ourselves, just like Elizabeth and Zachariah, barren and disgraced and full of shame, as they were. But the story of Elizabeth and Zachariah, I think as I studied this passage, what's going on here is, is this is an example of something that's much bigger, a much bigger problem that's going around. In verses 8 through 11, we're going to read about a people who Zechariah is representative of. And so his story takes on this flavor of not just him, but the whole people that are behind him when he's worshiping the temple. And, and for a moment, we, we need to consider that this is a much bigger problem because their real problem is not just that they haven't had a child. But for this people, it's the fact that God hasn't been in their midst. He hasn't visited them. He hasn't showed up in over 400 years. And for God's people who are to be a set of our people where God would be with them and they would be their, his, he would be their God and they would be his people, they haven't had that. And so there is a barrenness spiritually in their lives at this point. There's a brokenness, there's a disgrace for God's people. And in Luke's story, that's not just going to be the Jews, but ultimately it's going to be for all peoples. They haven't had the blessing. And so as we look at Zechariah and Elizabeth, we can ask, why is it that they have not been blessed with this child? And we can ask, maybe there's something else going on here. Maybe God wants to reveal himself through this brokenness. Maybe he wants to show up and show his purposes through that shame, through that disgrace. Maybe he wants to bring out his glory through this hardship. Which leads us to our second point, is that God wants to make his plan. No, and he begins to make his plan known in the middle section of our text. And Zechariah is going to see in this story that this thing is much bigger than just him. It's much bigger than just the fact that they don't have a child. We see verse 8 through 10 that Zechariah is serving at the temple. Look with me there. It says, Now while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the customs of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and, and burn incense. The whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. There's those people who he represents. Again, this location, it's not at his home, it's in the temple. It's the place where God should be showing up. Zechariah goes and he's going to this place and he's going to go in. And to our knowledge, again, God hasn't been there in a long, long time. He's chosen by lot or, or by by drawing a name out of a hat. He, he's chosen to go in and serve in this really special role. And here we have uh, Zechariah taking on what is literally a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to step through the doors of the temple and enter into a place where he would never go again and where he had never been to do a task that was special. 
priests who were chosen for this, they would, be, they would not be able to do it again. Their name would be taken out of the hat after this. And so he's chosen in that moment to, to have this opportunity to go in and, and serve through the burning of incense, a simple act. It was an act that happened in the morning and in the evening where they would go in and they would, they would, they would burn incense, to, especially in the evening, to, to go up with the sacrifices from the day for the people. And they would say a little prayer and, and then it would be quick and they'd go out. It was a simple action. And then they would come out and give a benediction over the people. And again, he's doing this on behalf of the bunch of people who are praying outside. He's serving this action, and, and he is chosen, I would say, by God to come in for this very special hour. Verse 11 through 12, he continues on. It says, here in this place, he's in the temple, he's before the altar of incense, he's, he's lighting the incense so that it can go up, and it says, and there appeared to him an angel standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fell, and fear fell upon him. Those words, and there appeared. And we hear that story like, like Zechariah is saying, and he was right there, right at the right hand of the altar of incense, right where I'm standing here, he was there. It's kind of like he was telling his buddies later on this story and recounting just the, 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 the special instance of when an angel showed up before him. Now that story has been passed on to Luke. Here, here an angel shows up, and we now have supernatural activity in a place where we haven't had God's presence in a long time. It's not just an angel. It's the angel of the Lord, it says, which, which in the Old Testament signifies one who is close to God, who has a message directly from God. This is a special one, and we'll find out later it's Gabriel. The angel that showed up in Daniel... The angel that showed up and gave Daniel what the end would look like. This is an important guy showing up with, uh, with uh, Zechariah there in this place. He was supposed to be all alone, and this other figure shows up. And what we see is God's activity starts to stir a little bit. Like the signs of spring outside, we know that something's coming here. God is starting to move just a little bit. Properly, Zechariah has fear upon him, which brings to the idea that this angel has had the glory of God. He is a representative of God, and he's going there with this message and from the presence of God to Zechariah to communicate something to him. Verse 13, he starts to share the plan. He says, Zechariah, don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He says, your prayer has been answered. I want to focus in on this for a little bit here. We need to ask, what prayer is he praying? At first glance, I, I, I want to think that he was praying because we get the story of him not having a child. And, and we want to think that maybe that was the prayer. And, and that's probably how I've read it in the past. But as I, I studied this whole passage and I thought about it, and as I went to other commentators on it, most of the commentators almost exclusively say that's not what he was praying for. We don't know for sure, but 
It's a pretty solid guess that there's something else that he was praying for. He wasn't probably praying for a son. He was probably praying for the redemption of God's people. He was praying for the Messiah to come, we can guess. And this makes sense because, first off, he was old. His first prayer probably was like, I'm way past my prime. I'm not praying for a kid. Those days are long gone. Two, which is probably more compelling, is, is that he's a good priest. He walks uprightly before the God. He knows his Old Testament. He knows what he's supposed to be praying. And in this moment, if he's going to have this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to pray, he's going to say, God, please come. God, we need you as a people. Thirdly, why would he be praying for God's kingdom to come? Why would he be praying for the redemption of his people? Because he's got a whole bunch of people standing outside the door that he represents. And he's praying as much for them as he is for himself because they are barren, they are broken, they are theologically uh, desperate for God to show up. And so he's praying, I believe, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's praying for God to show up and take part in this place where they are a broken people. And the angel says that prayer has been answered. That prayer is something that you don't have to fear in front of you because God is going to show up. God is on the move and He's going to do something. And more than it, He says, you don't have to fear. On top of it, what you should probably fear about is that you're about to be a dad. You're going to have a son. And His name is John. That's what you're going to call Him. On top of that, the son, He's going to have a major role to play in God's plan to redeem the people. He's going to have... You're going to have gladness, and other people are going to rejoice because of this son, because he is the forerunner to the Messiah. He's the one that's going to show up. He's the one that was prophesied from. And this is not just for you and Elizabeth. This is much bigger. This is about God's people, the whole people, and the gospel to the world. He says this will be great news, because this one's going to be great before the Lord. He's going to be a hero of the faith. He's going to be known because of what he, his role in the redemptive story and it's an important part of God's plan and he's going to be filled with the spirit from his womb. God is going to equip him for his work. Verse 16, he starts to then move to say why this is, what John's role is going to be. Verse 16, he says this, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord God, and he will go before them, him in the spirit of the power of Elijah and turn his hearts to the fathers, to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. John is going to have this important role of turning people around. Really, his ministry is one of calling people back to God. His role is like that of the prophets of old. He is going to be the last of the prophets who will speak, not just about the future, but more importantly, he's going to say, turn back to God, turn back and trust Him, repent and believe. John's ministry is going to be one of calling out repentance, to herald and usher in the King of all people, Jesus, his cousin. This story is much bigger than Zechariah and Elizabeth. It's, it's more about all sorts of people being saved from their disgrace. All sorts of people seeing the crack of dawn of God doing something new. 
I want to flip back to Malachi, and if you want to join me, you can. Malachi 4, where the Old Testament ends, God has said, Malachi 4, For behold, the day is coming, uh, burning like an oven, when all the arrogance and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. In verse 2, But you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness, shall rise with healing in its wings. And you shall go out leaping like calves from the saw, and you shall tread down the wicked, and for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day when I act, says the Lord. He says that this day is coming when, when the sun will rise, a new day, spring is coming, better weather is on the horizon. Where healing is going to come. Where we will celebrate what God is doing. All of the Old Testament is leading up to this. And we go down to verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. That's the verse that this angel quotes. He says, I'm going to send one ahead. I'm going to send John the Baptist ahead. And when John comes and he starts to call repentance, that means the Messiah is coming. He's on his way. Zacharias is there, and he is hearing this message. Unfortunately, Zechariah doubts, verse 18, we, uh, we, I don't have, I won't get into this a ton, but Zechariah, he says to the angel, how shall this be? How shall I know? I, I'm old and my wife is advanced in years. He doubts. He asks for a sign. He says, how, how shall I know? He, he looks around at his surroundings, and he says, I, I don't know if I can believe this. He questions God. He looks at his physical limitations and he doubts that God is up to something crazy good. He says, I'm old. My wife, she'll never be able to conceive. I wonder if as God has spoken to us his plan or as he, we read his word in the Bible and we look around at our, 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 our situations, our disgrace and our shame, and we, we look and we limit God's plan because of what we see, our shame that we carry limitations. He says, no, Zechariah, I'm Gabriel. I stand before God. I bring you gospel. I bring you good news. And I'm going to close your mouth. I'm going to close your mouth and that will actually be the sign for the people because you doubted. He says, I want to show God's people that God is up to something now. Something big. Zechariah, he comes out of the temple. He's mute. He can't speak. And he all he has is hand gestures. Zechariah knows what just happened, but more importantly now, God's people are knowing that God is at work. He's starting to show up. And we see this sign for all the people. He comes out of the temple and we realize that the 400 years of science is breaking, it's ending, and we can have hope for what is ahead. He's starting to draw people back to Him. He's starting to prepare the way. And we're going to learn more about that in the weeks to come of what Luke wants us to see. God was working out. It says that he kept making signs to them. He remained mute. When his time of service was ended, he went to his home. Verse 24 moves to our third and final and really quick 
goes back to their home. He goes back to the hill country where they are. It says, after these days, verse 24, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me and took away my reproach among people. We see here that true blessing is going to remove, result in the removal of disgrace. It's going to move towards a redemption, a removal of the shame. God is confirming his plan that it's begun, and all of a sudden we see that promise of the angel, and now as she has a child inside of her, we start to see that the plan has been initiated. God's plan is stepping forward. A new dawn is arising. And we see that the true blessing, the really needed thing, not the child, but the Messiah, the one to redeem people, to bring people back in their, their theological, their, their relational barrenness with God, the fact that this people has not been able to birth the Messiah, now all of a sudden we start to see God working a miracle. Good news that God's plan is working out. And Elizabeth gets to be a part of it. She gets to be a participant. And she says that this is to take my reproach away my reproach among the people. God is taking my shame away. And we can first think that, okay, he gave me a child. That's a good thing. And now I, I don't have that shame I carry. But I think really what has been going on here is she's saying, my reproach is, is much bigger than this. She doesn't know it yet, but what she has inside of her is the one who will usher in this Messiah who will ultimately take the greater reproach away from us. One more verse, which I believe is in the readings for this week. Romans 15.3 Ultimately, this story is not just about John the Baptist. It's about Jesus who will come. And in Romans, Paul says this, For Christ did not please himself. It was as it is written, The reproaches of those who reproached you fell gospel hope is not just that she had a child, not just that her life was taken care of, but much more when she says, my reproach has been taken away from me. The reason that that is possible is because Jesus is the one that ultimately would come and take our shame, take our pain, and redeem us to being whole people. She gives this child, she gets this child because ultimately it's going to lead to the Savior where she has been disgraced, where she has been barren, where she has been uh, had a problem in her walk, God is saying, I'm going to redeem you and give you this because I have a bigger plan in mind. And for us again, we can look and walk through life and see that for her, this was a grace. This wasn't something that was supposed to happen. For us, in the same way, as we look at our lives and we look at, we can sit there and say, Lord, I've been following you. I've been walking with you. Why do I carry this shame? Why do I carry this disgrace? We see in the bigger plan of it, when Jesus says, when, when God says, I'm going to bring my Messiah, what he's actually saying is, I'm going to bring one who will take your disgrace, take your shame, and exchange it for blessing. I'm going to take what is difficult, and it's not because you've walked well with me. It's not because you've been righteous and blameless like Zechariah and, and Elizabeth have. It's actually because I have a bigger story, a bigger plan of redemption, a plan of grace, a Messiah who will come and redeem you. 
take your approach. For those of us in our life, I need, we need to see that where there is disgrace, even if God doesn't give us the child, even if he doesn't solve the problem, what we need to see is that our reproach is taken away. And even then, we've been given something in Christ where we can say, I have had my reproach taken away among the people through the Savior, through the story of what Luke is communicating about this Messiah who's going to come. God has initiated that in the temple, and he's about to uh, take us on a journey in Luke to see this. And this morning, we want to see that without this story, without this forerunner to Christ, without Christ himself, we ourselves will meet it. So we trust in that this morning. We remind ourselves of this great love that God has for us, this plan of salvation that begins not just with the baby in the manger, but with the temple announcement that John the Baptist would come as a demonstration of grace and disgrace removed. We think about that. I hope that there's a reminder to us about what God has done for us in our own life, about bringing blessing and removing our disgrace Father God, we thank you so much. We thank you that you, Lord, speak to us and reveal to us this story. And much more, in Zechariah's case, you showed up to make an announcement. Not just an announcement that he would have a kid. But that his kid would bring the new day of the Savior who we truly would need. Lord, for Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were good moral people. But it wasn't the good moral people that that's not why you gave them a child. That's not why you blessed them. It's because you had a bigger spoke in the temple that day, you initiated something that couldn't be turned back, and ultimately Lord, you came, you died, you rose, and now as you're sitting with the Father, you say, I will never leave you. I will send my helper to be with you, the Spirit. And Lord, I just ask that that Spirit can convey from us what we need to hear from us here this morning. Thanks for showing up in the temple and initiating this blessing that foreshadowed 